Good afternoon, Falvers. How are you? Awesome. It's good to be with you. Um, I bring you some greetings from uh, Zerist. We've got a, a church plant that is happening just outside of Zerist. And uh, it was my privilege yesterday to, it was a bit of a sweet moment, but it was my privilege to do it, is to facilitate the funeral of Margaret's mom. Um, who died at an age of 94 years old. Uh, her dad passed away six months ago. Also, it was my great privilege to, to conduct his funeral uh, at an age of 96. Why this has been so significant for me is when, he, when her dad was 92, he got baptized. And uh, Pastor Lereke and myself, we were on that mission where you got baptized and Margaret's mom. So I've been walking quite close in a journey with them, and it has been such a phenomenal journey till the very end, to know them, to see what the gospel impacted their lives and changed their lives. Um, the gospel is never late. <laughs> the gospel is never late. And I think this is one of those stories that really just encouraged me so much. And I speak so loudly of the grace of God. That even at 92, God can convert people and he can change their lives. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of grace. Um, I have the privilege today to speak to you about, uh, let me just organize myself a bit here. All right. I, I don't hope you mind if I sit. Um, I have the absolute privilege to speak to you today about grace. And to continue our sermon series on grace, um, Pastor Simon has started us off in week one, focusing on abundant grace. And week two, Pastor Roger helped us, and we've been looking at justifying grace. Today, we're going to look at sanctifying grace. And when we talk about abundant grace, justifying grace, and so uh, and sanctification grace, we must not fall into the trap to think that there's grace for each one of these areas. It is grace. God's grace appeared. It is not in pockets. There is not grace now to become sanctified. There is not a pocket for justification, uh, a pocket for salvation. It is grace. And this grace was the grace of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. And God revealed His grace to us. And today, we're going to look at grace, and I'm going to ask you uh, to page with me to Titus 2. And we're going to read from Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. So week one, we've, in week one, we focus on the attention uh, or our attention to how amazing grace transformed our relationship with God. Last week, we were looking at how amazing grace transformed our eternity. Today, our focus and the aim would be to look at grace, how it transforms our behavior. And uh, as you find your way to Second Titus, I also... I, I say second Titus, Titus 2, sorry. <laughs> uh, 
uh, as you find your way there and get ready to read, I just want to give you a little bit of a backdrop to Titus, the book of Titus. Titus was, a, uh, was one of Paul's children. He led him to Christ. He's been ministering with Paul, and Paul leave him in Crete. And he leave him there with a purpose to help the church to establish leadership. And in his venture to establish church leadership within Crete, he was also finding himself with challenges of false teachers who tries to force onto this young congregation some laws and rituals that they need to obey. They taught them about uh, circumcision and about certain laws that they need to, to obey. And Paul is in his letter busy writing to Titus and he's addressing some of these issues. Our scripture actually falls right in the center of this letter that I'm going to read from. And it's literally if Paul takes this book and he divides it in two sections. The first section, he was talking about selecting men who are faithful, who live a life, a testimony that is with Jesus Christ. And then in the second part, he addressed the kind of attitude that started to arise within the church, that they believe that they can live in sin and grace is sufficient. And Paul addresses this matter, and he says to, the Crete, uh, to Titus that he needs to address this with the, the Cretans, that they cannot live like this. And he used this section to really kind of lead us from how men of God is supposed to look like to what the church is and how it should be transformed to. And he used this word, grace. And he speaks about grace. So I want to read for us in Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. And it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly. Live in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawfulness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, who are zealous for good works up to so far. The first thing that Paul addressed here when he speaks about grace, Paul said to Titus, grace has appeared. Now, we need to understand a little bit here. Paul is a, is a trained Pharisee. He was a disciple of a Pharisee. He was trained in what Jewish law and customs was all about. And he was very disciplined in it. And when Paul talks about it appeared, it means that he is so aware that the, the appearance of God's grace was being veiled within all of the sacrifices through all of the years as Jews sacrificing the the. The grace of God has not now suddenly appeared. It always existed, but it was kind of under a veil and covered within the sacrifices. And God's grace was always available. 
and he's talking about it, and he says, this grace has now appeared. And Paul is now addressing these people who try to force Jewish customs and laws onto this church, to saying, you know what, this grace has appeared long time already, but now it has appeared on the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the fulfillment of God's grace. When we look at the grace, we see God's grace fulfilled. And when Paul says this, he actually says to the Cretans, he says to them, Cretans, why are you getting fooled by people? This Jesus has been literally appeared. He's almost like he was crucified before you. He appeared. God's grace was so evident before us. This letter is written about 70 after Christ. That gives us about 40 years old, 40, uh, 40 years since Jesus has died. And this, many of these guys have firsthand experienced or heard the testimony of Jesus' death. And suddenly, they are blind. They start, their vision becomes blind. I kind of pride myself in the fact that I had some very good eyesight. And uh, I really, so my brothers and myself would go hunt. And then we all had phenomenal eyesight. But then something happened to me. I woke up one day after I turned 45. It was not exactly at 45. It was somewhere around there. But I woke up that morning and I realized I sensed something is wrong. I reached out to my Bible and I opened it up to read it. And suddenly I had to keep it a little bit further. And it is like, wow, what just happened to me? My sight is busy vanishing. And it is like, oh my word, I can't see anymore. So I now need some special tools to be able to read. <laughs> but apparently this is so normal. Over the age of 45, there's a muscle behind your eye that kind of starts to weaken up. And your eyesight becomes weaker. It's normal for all of us. Some of our just grazed in that area to, it becomes a little bit later in their lives. And what Paul is actually saying to the Christians is that your eyesight has been worsened. You allowed the doctrine and the teachings of false teachers to blur your vision. This Jesus who has appeared to you, this grace that was made available, visible to you, you don't see it longer for what it is. This grace of God who has laid his everything down so that you can have salvation has become lesser for you than what it means. It means God in his ultimate wisdom who knows that you are sinners, who knows that you will rebel against you, has still decided to send his son so that you should not perish but have eternal life. I have the privilege to accept Jesus at a very young age in my life. I'm 40 year, 49 years old now. I accepted Jesus when I was six years old. I've been following Jesus for 43 years. 
I can tell you one thing that I've learned in 43 years. Every day that I walk with Jesus, I became more aware of how broken I am. And I become more and more aware of how good, how great, and how awesome His amazing grace is. This is when I know how broken I am that I see grace for what it is. Because then I realize, oh my word, God, have you done this for me? It is in that sight that I started to realize what grace means to me. It is in this journey with God that I become more aware of how broken I am, how sinful I am, but I know how much I need His grace and how beautiful His grace is. We just sang amazing grace. John Newton, 1772, a child who have gave up on religion, was on, a, was on a boat, busy with slate trade, and suddenly grace appears to him. He looks at the sky and I, he sees the magnificence of God. And suddenly, his eyes is open. Suddenly, he receives with new glasses. His eyesight has been changed from once being blind to now see. It's amazing grace. How good are you, Jesus? Friends, when we look at how grace sanctifies us, we need to understand that grace was made visible to us when Jesus was crucified. It's no longer under a veil. It's not hidden or stacked away. It became so visible to us. Because this grace, when you look at Jesus' cross, then you cannot but to understand it cost God everything He had. He has stopped at nothing to make this possible. Even He created us with the knowledge that we will sin it. God still, He still chose to create us. That's grace. That's grace. Have you ever failed in a relationship? Have you ever messed up in a relationship so badly? And that person just show you grace. It happened to me. God used that moment. He said to me, I have grace on you. Friends, there is no measure. And I don't think we will ever understand the magnitude of God's grace. There is no limit to it. May we allow God Give us new sight of what grace looks like. And this grace is so amazing. It's wow. It's wow. This is amazing. It is so wow. You can say it backwards. Wow. 
our lives. And Paul is saying to the Cretans, this is, this is visible to you. It is like Jesus was crucified amongst you. How is it that your vision is blurred by false teachings? But Paul is going further and he says, he says, this grace is made available to you. Paul continued to describe the magnitude by, add, by adding, the magnitude of grace by adding, bringing salvation for all people. When Paul writes and he says, it is made available for everyone, it doesn't mean that everyone will be saved by grace. But it means that grace is available for everyone to be saved. I have a choice how I can respond to this grace. And Paul is saying, he says, this grace is available for everyone, not just for the Jew. These guys who are trying to teach false teachings about circumcision and those kind of things, they want to teach you that you need to appear in a certain way before you can experience God's grace. He says, you can come just as you are. God is not looking at your sin. This is, but there's grace for it. And that's why he says, come, come, because you see our brokenness. This grace is available for each and every one of us. To explain this a little bit better, I want to take you to Luke 7. The ten lepers, we all know the story so well. Ten guys who has been cast outside of the city, who is not allowed to get into the city because they were lepers. And these ten guys spent most of their times together. And one day, Jesus walked past. And they cry out and says, Oh, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus says to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were on their way, they discovered something. They look at themselves and they discover, Oh my word, I don't have leprosy. I'm being healed. And then they're off to the temple. And out of this ten, there's one who realized something else. He realized, I'm healed. Oh, my word. I can go into the temple. I'm a Samaritan. I have no access than these guys. They're like, these nine, I have not the privilege. I'm not entitled to go into the temple. Suddenly, he ponders upon him. Oh, my word. I don't deserve what Jesus just did to me. This is grace. God has been good to me. Even if I am not entitled, 
I am not a Jew. Jesus did this for me. And suddenly, it ponders upon him. That he's got nowhere to go but back to Jesus. And his heart at that moment, when he looked at this grace of Jesus, and the availability of God's grace, he turned around and he walked back to God. And he walked to Jesus and he says, Jesus, thank you for healing me. And this grace has touched him so deeply. But I think the most profound thing for me here is, is how Jesus responded. And I want to read that for you. If we read in Luke 7, verse 18. And Jesus responded after he had returned. And he says, no one, no one found it to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. None of the other have returned to give praise to God. But this foreigner did. Because this foreigner knew that this grace was available for him. He was not entitled but it is available for you. Can it be that the other nine kind of sins that I'm a Jew? I kind of, this is my inheritance? I think the response of Jesus struck me so deeply. Why is it that a foreigner returns? And come and say thank you. And praise to God. Friends, when we understand that grace is available for each and every one of us, it changes our view and our response towards grace. And therefore, we must understand that this grace became visible to us when Jesus died on the cross and the magnitude of that grace was expressed on that cross. We also need to understand that this grace is not just limited to Jews. It's not just limited to, to Christians. We must understand that this grace is available for everyone. For those who choose to respond towards this grace. This grace is far too great for us to understand. When we view grace like this, we suddenly realize that it enables us. Sanctifying grace is not a magic tool. It's not grace that you receive and now suddenly you live holy. It is not something that God does. But it is a, the appropriated response towards His grace. When we spoke about abundant grace, the salvation that Jesus has brought for us on the cross... And that he brought us into right standing with God, justification, grace. 
it means we have an appropriated response towards Christ. I like to think of it like this. My wife and myself are in a relationship. We married almost 26 years. And in that 26 years, I did things that harmed the relationship. And I learned not to do that again because I don't want to continue to harm this relationship. Because this relationship is so important to me. When I look at the beauty of my wife, the awesomeness of who she is, <laughs> but look at the beauty of who she is. Then I don't want to do things. I will mess up my marriage. I will treat her as if she, I will treat her and carry her on my hands as she deserves. I will make her feel like the best person in this marriage. When we look at this grace, this magnitude of God's grace, we cannot just say, wow, this grace, Jesus, when I look at it, I choose your grace and I renounce my sin because I don't want to do anything that will harm the relationship between you and me. I will not continue on this path of sin because I know this will harm the relationship. I know this relationship will deeply be impacted by my sin. And therefore, I have, when I've been confronted with temptation, I sit and I look at that, and I look at God's grace, and it's like, no way, no way. I will never sacrifice this, what I have in you, O oh Lord. 43 years you have been faithful to me. I will not say yes to that. I will say no to it. Because this grace becomes every day when I look at it, every morning when I wake up and I ponder about God, I ponder about His beauty, and it's like, Lord, that sin is ugly. Why do I want to do it? I choose you. That is what sanctifying grace does to us. Is when we look at grace and we see the magnitude and the impact that it had. That God did not stop at any cost. That he gave everything he had so that I can be saved. Why will I continue to harm this relationship? I will pursue God. Grace, when I look at it, I cannot different to say, oh Lord, how magnificent are you. When we say grace in power, as Paul writes, and he says, grace training us to, oh, I completely forgot I've got slides. I'm so sorry. Grace that enables us. Paul writes, and he says, this grace, this grace, sorry, 
Does grace train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions? And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The word that Paul is using here in original language for train means literally to educate, to train, and to help a child to grow in maturity. And God's grace, when we look at it and we see what God has done for us and our appropriate response to it is, God, I cannot do sin anymore. It continuously trains us how to become mature in our walk with God. I can tell you, oh my word, I can tell you, over 43 years, I've made mistakes. Friends, I made many. Amen. When I look at that grace, I renounce ungodliness in my life. And bring me to repentance on my knee to say, Jesus, whatever, I am coming back. I will not give up on this grace. And the most beautiful story for me in the Bible is out of Psalms 51. David committed adultery. And to cover up his adultery, he killed his best friend, one of his best friends. And Nathan comes to him and he confronted his son. And David writes Psalm 51 in response to this. And he says, oh God, forgive me. He says, brought out my transgressions. Cover my sin. Cleanse me, O Lord. And what David is using here, he's using three words that is so impactful. He's using transgression that literally means that I know what is right and I know what is wrong and I choose to do what is wrong. That is transgression. When he asks God to to cover his iniquity, to block out his iniquity. It is the same if my watch is today bro is, is, is getting broken. I have no idea how to fix it. If my iPad breaks, I have no idea how to fix it. I have to take it to the designer, to the maker, to say, help me to fix this. David says, I am so broken. And I need you, oh God, to come and fix me. And David says, Lord, he says, I, I aim for that target. My sin, the root word that has been used there is like an archer word that I aim at the target and every time I shoot, I miss the target. And David says, I miss the target every time. And he runs to God. And he says, Lord, when I look at your mercy, when I look at your mercy, I want to come back. Friends, mercy trains us. It helps us to renounce our sins 
and ungodly ways. And it helps us to live upright. I love the words that Paul is using here. Self-control naturally relates to your personal life. So we are free under God's reign. When he talks about upright, it relates to our relationship to one another. That we live in integrity with one another. That we love in forgiveness, honesty, and truthfulness. When he speaks about godliness, he speaks about our relationship with God. That form the foundation to all of our relations. How is this possible? Friends, sanctifying grace requires that we respond to God's grace. As we read about the story about the sinful woman coming to Jesus. And the Bible says she cried so much that her tears wet Jesus' feet. I think when she looked at grace, she was so overwhelmed by it that she could not stop herself crying. And she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And she realized forgiveness is available. I'm a sinner. Forgiveness is available. She starts crying and washes his feet. And she dries it with her hair. And she oints him. She used ointment to oint his feet. To, what is the word? To anoint his feet. She had the appropriated response to that grace. But there was other people in the room who had a different approach. We can ask ourselves why, but Jesus gives us the answer. And he says, he whom has much been forgiven has much to be grateful for. Those who are forgiven little has got less to be grateful for. Friends, if we realize the impact of our sin and look at God's grace, we cannot other than to say, oh, my word. Wow. You are amazing. We cannot other than to say, Lord, I renounce my sin. I choose to live a godly life. This is what grace does to us when we look at grace. Can I ask you to stand with me? Friends, we need to take account of our lives. We have to ask ourselves the hard and truthful questions. Do I love my sin more than I love God? Did I lose my reverence for grace of God? A.W. Tozer, author and pastor, 
and this habit in his life. Every morning between four and six, he go lay with his face in the sand on the beach. He did not ask God anything in that time. He didn't discuss anything with God. He didn't mention to God his needs or the needs of others. Those two hours with his, his face in the sand, he was just contemplating about God. He was thinking the whole time about God. He was thinking about the grace and the goodness of God. And he makes this statement. What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. To be right with God has often mean to be in trouble with man. Paul says to the Cretans, Cretans, when you see grace, as it became visible to you. As you look at this grace and you, you know it's available for you and you respond resp appropriately to this, to this grace, you will denounce, renounce your sin and find, choose godliness. Can I pray for you? Can we close our eyes? Firstly, I want to just want to ask are there patterns of ungodliness and worldly passion that you need to say no to? As we take this moment being quiet before God, we take an account of our lives and ask ourselves a question. Is there any, any ungodliness and worldly passions that I need to deal with? Do you need the grace of God to help you? Not just say no, but to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives at this present age. If there's any of us amongst us who feels like and says, Tiam. Can you pray with me? I want to ask you, while every hand is bowed, if you take this moment, raise your hand if there's God. Jeremiah. Please, every hand bowed. Thank you. See those hands. Heavenly Father, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. And Father, your word says that we can come just as we are. And Lord, we want you to reveal to us your grace in this moment. May we see it for what you've done, O oh Lord. We pray, Father, this grace to empower us to say, Lord, we choose you above this. 
We choose to respond to your grace to become godly, upright, and self-controlled. Oh Lord, empower us through your grace. Change our lives, oh Lord. To live holy and godly for you. Father, you see the hands. We come and we denounce our weaknesses, Lord. Our sin before you. And we pray, oh Lord, forgive us our sins. Restore us unto thee, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. While, while, we're still, while we're still standing, I also want to ask if you have not responded yet to God's grace, if there was not a time in your life ever where you say, Jesus, I recognize what you've done for me. I want today be the day to respond to that grace. Maybe, maybe you got tired. Maybe it was like the Cretans who got influenced by worldly pressure and false teaching. And maybe you came to the place where you says, Jesus, I don't recognize this grace anymore. Can I ask you just to bow your heads again? If there's anyone who says, Jesus, I want to accept you as Lord and Savior. I want to respond to this grace. Can I ask you to raise your hand right now? I want to pray with you. Thank you. See those hands. Is there anyone else who says, Jesus, I want to respond today. I don't want to leave this room without knowing that I responded to this grace. While all heads are still bowed, can I ask those who raise your hand if it would be possible for you to come forward, to bring your belongings with and to come forward that we can pray with you. Will you be so bold as to step out and come that we can pray for you, please? Can we just <laughs> encourage them? Lord, you see your children raising their hands and says, Father, I need to respond. And Lord, you are close to the brokenhearted. Lord, we know that your word says, those who call upon you, and you will answer, Lord. And Father, we pray as we stand before you and we pronounce our sin right now, Jesus. 
We pray, oh Lord, come in like a flood. Let your grace abound in us, oh Lord. Father, we pray that these lives will be forever, Lord, added to your body, to your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.